What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Hamilton Trained Podcast. I'm your host. If you're new here, Jared Hamilton. So glad to have you here and have you listening to the show today. Now, today, I have a super special guest with me. I am having the pleasure of interviewing Matt Winning from Winning Strength. Um, Matt, if you guys are not familiar with, is on a uh, another level. Um, Matt, you know, I'm not going to take a million years talking about him. I'm going to let him get into this thing and just him do most of the talking. Um, but when we, when we are having a conversation, Matt, I'm telling you is, is, is a little bit different than your average coach or your average weightlifter. Okay. Matt, and I'm going to, I'll let him talk about his credentials and all his experience and why you should even listen to him. But the thing is, it's rare in my opinion, you find someone that has is so evenly distributed over everything, everything from like what they physically can do. The fact that Matt's numbers and world records are what they are, but then he's also, he also has the education background he has, but then he also works with the people he works with. And then the fact that, you know, he teaches what he teaches. So from all spectrums and he'll get into that is, is what it is. It's absolutely insane. This is someone that you need to be watching, listening to and learning from because it'll make your life a thousand times better because that's, uh, we get into so many things in today's episode. I mean, they're like legitimately so many nuggets. You could listen to this episode 17 times and find something in every single, um, and every single time you listen to it, you know, but the biggest stuff I wanted Matt to touch on was some of the myths that go along the lines of getting strong. Okay. Because I talk about nutrition and calorie deficit and all that stuff a lot, but I wanted Matt to get on here and talk about strength, about just getting ridiculously strong. And, you know, cause a lot of people think they're too old to get strong or you're going to get crazy big and bulky while you get strong, or there's a specific way to get strong or, well, what about squatting and deadlifting being bad for your back? Like there's so many little things that we get into. Um, but as a whole today, we're talking about how to get really, really strong, how to keep it from getting injured and how to like, to be honest, like slow down this whole aging process and to get to where you're functioning at a super amazing level where you feel good, you live a long time and you don't get hurt. Um, and that just barely scratches the surface of our surface of our conversation. So I hope you get a lot of value from this. Um, be sure to listen to the whole, the whole episode. We did have a little bit of technical difficulties, um, just from recording this, but you know, that's what makes this thing interesting. So, um, I hope you get a lot of value. I will talk to you soon. Yo, you there? Yeah, man. What's up? Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Oh, yeah. All right, cool. Awesome, man. Dude, thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It was actually good timing because I'm driving to Connecticut to pick up some stuff from my new house. Oh, so really? I got like a nine-hour drive. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. So. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, I appreciate, again, you doing this. And we are live. We're or not live. We're, uh, we're recording. So um, now before we get into all this... Uh, this stuff talk a little bit for a second if you will about you and some of the cool shit you've done that way to give some context that you know everyone yeah. listening knows what the hell knows that you know what the hell you're talking about yeah sure so um finished my undergrad at ball state in 2003 under uh dr kramer so anybody that knows exercise physiology any book you open up with uh with any research in it is going to have dr kramer's name and mentioned in it probably 50 times <laughs> godfather of strength conditioning in the western world and then um as a grad student i was under dr robert newton which is in charge now of edith cowan university in australia um he's putting out some really crazy 
uh, strength and power research with rugby players. Um, so with, with that all being collected, we were doing work at Ball State with NASA when they were flying um, soldiers, or I'm sorry, uh, astronauts up into space with um, anti-gravity. So a lot of people don't know this, but when you fly up in space more than about 11 to 13 days, most uh, 40% of your strength. That much? Yeah, because wow. you don't have any gravity. It's like being bedridden. So it's like being bedridden and, you know, one pound and 100 pounds is the same amount of force. That's crazy. So, yeah, in a non-gravitational state, your muscle wastes away very quickly. So we were one of the first um, colleges to actually figure out how to fix that, and we fixed it with bands because band, band tension doesn't need a lot of uh, storage, right? You can mm-hmm. get a lot of bands, put them in a small box, and they don't need gravity either because they're uh, elastic resistance. So we actually had the astronauts training with bands. That's insane. Yeah, so that was my career as, uh, as far as a student goes. And then um, street credit-wise, I guess, lifting. Uh, I started lifting when I was 12 years old. <clears throat> I took the first 13-year-old state record in the bench press at 250. Um, so I was gifted in the bench. I was a really good swimmer, so I had really strong shoulders and, uh, and back muscles. And then by the time I was 19, I won my first world championship. Uh, I was one of the only kids in the high school ranks uh, to bench right under 500 pounds, um, you know, with a pause at a national meet. And then um, as a college student, I won collegiate nationals two times and then got um, top three at men's nationals as a, as a junior in the USAPL national ranks in the IPF and then went pro and was one of the youngest guys to squat 900 and then broke my first all-time world record at 28, my second all-time world record at 29, and then um, broke my uh, third world record at 33, flipping over to completely raw, and then was one of the highest subtotals in human history. I squatted 865 and bench pressed 611 pounds in the same meet. Holy no shit. <laughs> yeah, so I've been doing it a long time. Um, so that's that with lifting, and then I've had um, about six massive military contracts with the Army. So I've done anywhere from infantry to teaching them how to train properly, um, teaching them how to recover properly, teach them not how to overuse running and conditioning and use more strength training type stuff to lower injury rates, which was very successful with um, – 4th Infantry and, and Ranger Battalion, we were able to drop the injury rates down almost 35% in a year and a half, wow. um, which was huge in the Army because of the uh, the amount of the, those guys are injured all the time. Um, and then I own my own gym at Columbus. We train a lot of guys getting ready for Special Forces selection, uh, Fire Department selections, um, general fitness. Uh, we also have you know, a lifting team and we do a ton of online coaching. And then I, uh, with my biomechanics background, build a lot of equipment and also do a lot of, uh, um, let's see, online coaching equipment. Um, we do a lot of consulting with professional and college football teams and track. So I work really closely with Kansas, um, with, uh, the Carolina Panthers. We have, 
my equipment at the Chiefs, the Eagles, the Lakers, the Canucks, and the Bengals. That's amazing, man. That's a, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. You know, it's and correct me if I'm wrong, but like it, it, at least in in my world, that what a lot of the stuff I see with with people like yourself, very rarely do do have I ever seen someone who has had both worlds collide so well, so to speak, where like you got like the street cred, like from like an actual lifting standpoint, all, all the stuff you've done, but then from an intelligence standpoint with all the stuff where you're at, I, I don't know too many people who have both of those mesh so well. You know what I mean? The only, the only few guys I know that have done that in their lifetime were Dr. Fred Hatfield, you know, Dr. Squat back in the day. He was one of the first guys to actually explain Compensatory acceleration in the early 80s with squatting and getting faster to get stronger, um, but also had his PhD and taught. Um, but I don't know how much he did on the business side other than founding the ISSA, which is a kind of a personal trainer mm-hmm. certification. But um, yeah, he was he had his hands in a lot of stuff, but I don't believe he built quite as much equipment. Um, and I'm not so sure that his biomechanics background was as high. So, you know, me understanding metal and physics and the body and the way it moves has given me a really big, um, you know, uh, standpoint on the on the on the actual business side of things as far as being able to utilize what I know and then transfer it over to making better machines that aren't on the market or improving designs and then you know obviously because i train myself i won't put a piece of equipment on you know on the market unless i've trained with it for multiple years and worked out all the yeah kinks, you know you most know? definitely that that shows a lot of from like just an integrity side um and practicing what you preach you know that's that's awesome yeah i mean it's yeah it's definitely been a, a longer road but like i said there's a lot of there's a lot of pride in that because, you know, when I build something or give somebody to something, I've battle tested it for so many years. I think that's the big problem with the exercise community now is you got this huge divide in people that can do um, research and then people that actually do it for real. And then they have this, they're always arguing all the time. And I was one of the first guys to kind of blend that together and make everything mesh, but you know, it creates enemies on both sides, you know? You know, researchers want to argue with me and never lifted a weight, and guys that are just meatheads and don't have any <laughs> background want to talk about how they've done everything too. It's just, you know, that's the hardest part. Is I think the big thing to remember in exercise and the human body is that we don't really know what the best way is to get stronger. We don't know what the best way is to eat. We don't know what the best mechanics are to do something when we lift. But the, the you know. Um, success usually mm-hmm. leaves clues, and I that long-term success leaves even more clues. So the big thing is, is like you have to, you have to look at guys that have been around a long time, right? So guys that have been training for 25 plus oh, years, yeah. they've went, they've done that, and they've done it with a high level of strength and also a low level of injury. Then you have to look at what's their education background, you know. So I knew at a young age that being strong wasn't going to give me the credibility I needed to have military or fire contracts or all these other things. So I went and sacrificed my mid twenties to schooling. And then, um, with that being said, you know, and then experimenting it on yourself and and playing with it with multiple amounts of people. 
So I think having that, getting strong, staying strong and injury-free and having a high education, those three things usually start to dwindle down who you should listen to yeah, drastically. No, most definitely. Well, and, and what you just said, I, the, like just you just said it, um, is one of the things that, that I love the most is, um, is when, when you said, like in, coming from someone who has your level of competency, intelligence, and just background, you said, hey, we don't know it all. Like as a society, like there's no best we don't know. Where most where most people act like they know everything and has has never said that phrase before, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'll be the first to tell you I don't know everything, but I've played with a lot of stuff and figured out what I think it might be the best way so far, at least the most explained way so far to train and to understand how to do those things. Because at the end of the day, what you have to look at is everybody wants to be stronger, everybody wants to be leaner you know, and all these things. But the way to do that is to figure out the proper procedure to get what you want with reduction or very little yeah. mileage. That is the real question. You know, I see everybody fighting, you know, online and people get on my page and, you know, become flagrant assholes. But the big thing is, is like nobody's arguing about, we should be arguing about how do we get better without getting mm-hmm. hurt? How do we get better without creating mileage how do we squat a world record and still walk when we're 50 yeah no i told well and that's one. that's one of the things that i was wanting to talk to you about is um because in the world of like just strength training and especially like the big three lifts and stuff there's so many misconceptions and misunderstandings and that's why one of the things i was wanting to talk to you about um and have you really go into and that was one of them right there something that i hear a lot just on the gym floor and in the online space is that, you know, stuff like, oh, our body isn't designed to squat and deadlift in that context of spinal loading, or, you know, you'll hear, I'll hear guys say stuff like, oh, well, I used to squat and deadlift back in the day, but look at me now, I can't stand up straight. We're not meant to do stuff like that. Yeah, that's horseshit. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, you have to watch the compressive loading that you have on your body. I mean, that's what nobody wants to talk about because it's not the simple way, not the to write a program right it's you have to figure out how am i going to get stronger and not have these problems and and that's the real that's the real question in my mind that's why i developed the belt squat that's why i develop a lot of traction i always talk about traction versus compression because i mean i'm 40 years old i'm arguing with guys that are already being injured and they're not even Mm -hmm. 30 yet and i'm just thinking like you got to be absolutely out of your (laughs) mind you know so I don't know. It's, it's tough. So, well, cause now I think I, I read a post on, on, on your page the other day that you said that you're stronger, you're stronger now at 40 than you are at 30 and you're at a lower weight and body fat percentage. Right. Yeah. I would say, I would say I'm comparable. I, you know, it's hard to be just as strong as you were at 310 at 250, but I'm close. Um, you know, I'd say I'm within, I'm within seven to 10%. Um, and I'm not even training to be a powerlifter. I just was messing around with one of my friends that was getting ready for a competition. And uh, we went up to a – I went up to where I thought it was, you know, getting hard but not straining. And I still demolished a 550 bench at 40 years old with 50 pounds less body weight. My best is 6'11". I probably gunned to my head with, you know, money on the floor. I probably could have done 585. Yeah. So, you know, and I haven't went that heavy in a year and a half. But it's because I – 
constantly strain. I constantly push myself, but I do it smart. And the, the big thing is, is I'm still that strong, but my elbows, my wrists, my shoulders, my back, all of that is perfect. I'm in better health now at 40 than I was at 20, just because I know how to train yeah. smarter. No, no, that makes total sense. So let me ask you this. Where do most people go wrong when trying to get strong in training and all this? Where do people go wrong most? Well, I think you got different things that go wrong at different stages. I think the beginning is that we're too impatient to get strong. So we look for shortcuts. We look for harder programs, not smarter programs. And then what ends up happening is that we create these bad techniques and these bad forms and, and these bad motor patterns, which become nearly impossible to remove. So, for instance, if you're a beginner and your knees buckle in when you squat, right, then if you do that for five years straight without anybody correcting it, how hard is that going to be to break versus if you, if right when you first start, you're around a competent person that doesn't let you break form? That's where I was coming up as a kid is that I got lucky and there were a couple really strong guys in the, in the, in the city and they just happened to see me as a young kid and they never let me go heavier than my technique would allow. And that is where I think at the first stage is the biggest problem is that you start doing these, these techniques that you don't realize are good or bad. And then you've got five, six years behind your belt of this improper form. Now you have these muscle imbalances due to technical flaws. And now you're like, you're trying to swim uphill. Yeah to fix all that shit when it could have been fixed right off the beginning if when you first started, because, you know, I mean, like the average person thinks, you know, oh, well, if I just go to the gym and train hard, everything will happen as it's supposed to happen. And that's not, that's not necessarily true, mm-hmm. you know. You can't go learn physics from a dumbass <laughs> off the street, you know. You're not going to understand anything, you know. So you have to go to a high-level school to get smarter. You have to go be around people that are better than you to get smarter. And I think the problem is, is that most people that become attracted to weight training, they, they tend to have an ego. They don't want to be the weak guy or the small fish in the big pond. They want to be the big fish in the small yeah. pond. And that is where everybody screws up in the beginning. In the middle, I think, again, it becomes an impatient problem. You know, you think you got a couple, two, three, four, five years under your belt, and now you're an expert, and then you don't listen to how to train smarter so you know i got up to a point where i was totaling 2,000 pounds which is amazing mm-hmm. but i was using a system that i was constantly sore i was constantly having knee and lower back pains my shoulders were hurting all the time to get to these 2,000 total i flipped the style of my training which is explained in my powerlifting manual um but i, I switch it over to more of a conjugate style training and within the next four to five years, I'm in the top three in the world. And a lot of it was because I felt pressure every time I went in. I wasn't psychologically burned out because I was rotating exercises and my joints felt great because I wasn't getting beat down because uh, the pressures of the exercises were different every week. So versus just going in straight bar squatting, straight bar deadlifting and straight bar bench pressing, well, that's going to create a lot of mileage in certain areas. So once I started to figure that out, obviously the first four to six months was a lot of trial and error. 
I didn't get everything right, so I didn't get better right away, but I didn't, I didn't get frustrated. I just kept learning and learning and learning. And then by the time I was 22, 23, I was at the top of the collegiate national ranks. I had the American records and everything. That's awesome. So the point was that sometimes you got to take a step back to make two or three steps forward. And a lot of people just are not willing to yeah, do that. Well, I, I think a lot of it too goes into this, the, the thought that most people just assume more is better. More days per week is better. More volume is better. More intensity is better, Uh-oh. but that's just not the case. Yeah. I've been arguing with the last, like the last month I posted a thing on YouTube about it started on YouTube about the law. What I consider a law, a law of 72 hours, meaning that if you're going to squat, you can't use those same muscle groups in that same motor pattern until three days prior or three days after. There's just no way to recover from it. And everybody's like, well, what about these Smoloff programs and these RPS programs where they squat like four times a week? And I'm like, good <laughs> luck with that. Like, if, if you look at all the top squatters in the world, none of them train squats more than one to two times a week. How are you telling me that this system is going to make you better you know, I mean, if you're a beginner and you really don't know how to work out, you could probably squat five times a week, but it doesn't mean you should. Right. You know, and I try to tell people, like, you have to look for optimal. Instead of trying to look for maximal training with minimal results, why don't you look for minimal training with maximal yeah. results? But nobody wants to hear it. It's like they're either on this one side of the ball where they want to massively overtrain, or they're on the other side of the ball, which is 95% of the population where – you have to force somebody mm-hmm. to work out, you know? So the big thing is, I think, is we should be trying to figure out how to get better without with reducing mileage and doing less to get more. I always talk about this in a lot of podcasts, but there was one book that I read in college that Dr. Kramer handed to me and I thought was so interesting. And the most interesting thing about this book by a guy named Thomas Kurtz, K-U-R-Z, is that the front cover says something to the effect of, Training is effective if you figure out the best way to get better with the least amount of time and energy. That's awesome. <laughs> so think about that. for Yeah, think about it for a second. Like, So we got to figure out a way to get better with reducing mileage, reducing energy levels, and reducing time that it takes to do it. That sounds yeah. like a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Right? <clears throat> but everybody wants to go in and squat five times a week. And I'm just like, Jesus. It's like these deadlift Decembers and these squat-tobers. I'm like, yeah great just promote ridiculousness you know what i mean yeah no i I, and i know a handful of like uh fitness influencers and guys who are like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna hit my 80 percent squat pr every single day and see what happens and just shit like that yeah Yeah. hilarious so so let me ask you so let me ask you this then so in terms of you know especially for for people listening in terms of just basic fundamentals in terms of strength training what are what are the mat winning basic fundamentals of strength training Okay, that speed, getting faster, right, getting more explosive, getting stronger, and getting in better shape need to have an equal amount of your energy pie chart. Mm. So you have to learn to strain, right, to get better. You have to learn to take weights and move them more explosively to get better. And you also have to gain more muscle tissue and endurance to be able to withstand the workouts Mm -hmm. and train harder things have to be balanced one cannot be traded for the other so that means you have to have max days where you go up to not a real max about a 90 percent which is called a, a tfm max which is training force maximum meaning 
technical. So you go up as heavy as you can by holding proper technique. That would be a max effort day. Then you have a day where you use a certain percentage to get explosively fast. So it'd be like 30 to 40% of your 1RM to work on true explosiveness and speed strength. And then you have other parts of the workouts that require muscles to grow, meaning they need to have more volume. So lots of sets of 10, 12, failure, 45-second sets, things of that nature. And those exercises need to be dictated towards weaknesses. So if you have a pie chart of your energy expenditure through the week, 33% of that energy should be directed towards max efforts. 33% should be directed towards getting more explosive and dynamic efforts. And 33% of it should be development of repetition or fatigue, which would be repetition method. 33% of your, of your energy in that week should go to that. If you got that figured out, the next step, the next tier of things you have to figure out is you must always put most of your energy in your weakest links. So you can't just walk in and just squat and think. So if you have weak hamstrings, weak glutes, weak lower back, weak abs, the list can go on and on depending on your variability and your build and your biomechanics. Your lifting program needs to be developed based on your mechanical or muscular flaws. So 70% of your energy needs to go towards those mechanical or um, muscular flaws that you've created, or, you know, just, just the, for genetic sake, right? So you can create a, you can create a hamstring quadricep balance weakness just mm. based on femur length, which is genetic. So those are the two big things that I think you don't hear people Never. talk about and is completely missed. And those are, and those are basically the Matt winning thought pattern to how to For get sure. stronger and how to no, get dude, better I, without I, getting I hurt. always hear people talking about like everyone's all about the, um, the the max effort training and then like hypertrophy kind of stuff but like I don't hear anyone talk about dynamic effort training especially being 33 33% of your program yeah I mean if you look at my I have two whole days that are dictated towards just getting faster and if anybody watches my lifts like, especially speed days, they're like, how in the hell can he move shit that fast? So, for instance, when I was at my strongest, I could bench press 500 pounds Holy in shit. 0.9 meters per second. That's faster than most people, that's faster that's than most people can move 135. Like that's, like, that's, that's absolutely insane. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. But the thing of it is, is here's the, what you don't, what people don't realize is that when you're, get, when you're on the quest to get stronger, you will eventually run out of time if mm. you don't get faster. Right? You only have so long to strain. So let's say you only have five seconds. Well, if you put a bigger weight on the bar, you better move yeah. that weight faster or you're going to run out of time. Right? It's all about power, right? Force. So if you look at force, which is our main goal, is to create more force. That equation is mass times acceleration. So why not have a day where you get stronger, which would be how much? That'd be mass. And then have a day where you work on getting faster. Hmm. No, that makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty basic physics, but nobody breaks it down that way. You know, the only one I've ever heard talk about is Louie. And he's he's one of those guys that has a lot of street credit, but he never went to school for anything. So he can get easily, he gets he gets a lot of his programming kind of backwards and mixed up. And um, it, it's hard to understand because he didn't have schooling for English and all these other things. So when he talks, it's kind of 
broken up and hard to understand, but he was the only one talking about that in the 90s, you know, having to get faster and get stronger. But he learned that from watching guys like George Halbert, which had 12 world records in the bench press, and guys like Chuck Vogelpool that had upwards of 12 to 15 world records in the squat. And they had a day that was completely constituted towards just getting explosive. No, that's awesome. Uh, I have a buddy that was one of Louis' interns, uh, ironically. Um, but, no, that, that makes total sense. Oh, okay. Like, kind of knowing what he's doing, but not the why behind it, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, he could explain it, but the problem is, is really when he explains it, it doesn't make any sense. I think, case in point, if you really want to know, Louis has a lot of good ideas on how broken he is as far as those ideas are put together. Just go watch this Joe Rogan podcast, and you're going to be like, <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? And Rogan even kind of... Rogan even kind of calls him out on it, and he can't answer it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I felt kind of yeah. bad for him because he's getting old, you know. But it's one of those things where you're just like, you know, I mean, if if Louie really cared about, in my opinion, if Louie really cared about getting the exercise world to listen to what he was doing, he should have mm. went and got a physics degree or he should have went and got a biomechanics degree and, and worked his way up to schooling because then I think his thoughts would have been a lot more – just driven the right way yeah. and people would have no, had to listen that. to him more versus just trying to back it up with world record holders. You know I mean? Yeah, that's awesome. But mm-hmm. that's only one For piece sure. of the puzzle, you know? Now, let me ask you this. A lot of people, one of the things I hear the most, uh, oh, just like some of the other bullshit claims is uh, when people think they're too old to get strong. I'd love to hear you talk about that. Oh yeah, that's well, you know, here's the deal. If you have been the strongest you could ever be in the world, right? Like you have worked, you have started at six years old, getting flexible and athletic and doing handstands and doing gymnastics. And then you start lifting weights at 11, 12, 13 years old. And then you work your way up and you're a world record holder by your mid twenties. Can you be as strong in your mid twenties as you can in your fifties? And the answer is no, but here's the problem. The problem is, is nobody in their prime ever achieved as much as they possibly could because they, they probably didn't even learn mm-hmm. about weights until college or late high school. Here's my point. My point is, is that you're not going to find an Olympic lifter or a world record power lifter. You're not going to find that guy breaking an all time world record in human history at 50 years old. It's just not going to happen. But the thing of it is, is that most people are not even close to their genetic potential. So if you start training at 40 years old, you've never touched a weight. You are going to get way stronger than you were. Because you weren't, you know, the top guy in the world. I mean, yeah, a guy that squats, say, like Ray Williams squats. You still there? I think he's 30. Yeah, I think it's coming through now. Yeah, perfect. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> yeah, well, it could be. I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere, but I'm getting closer to Pittsburgh. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I, I can yeah. always splice you together. That's no big deal. So. Okay. Awesome, man. Um, we were, um, I think, wrapping up the, uh, the, your end, uh, basically the concept of being too old to, to, uh, to get strong yeah. and that kind of yeah. talk. Sure, like everybody can get stronger. Uh, now, if you're at the world level, you know, if you're at the highest level attainable, then no, you're not going to be able to hold on to that forever. But in general sense of the terms, yes, everyone can get way stronger. I mean, we have guys in my gym that are 64 years old that can still bench press 350 and they only weigh 200 pounds. We got girls that are 66, 67 years old that can still deadlift way into the 300s, which is, you know, for normal people is thinks on 
unattainable even in their prime. Yeah. So, yes, you can get stronger as you get older, but no, if you're a former world record holder or something, you're not going to be able to hold on to that forever. But you still can be stronger than 99.9% of the population walking around. Sure. Now, what do you think about this? It's kind of along the same lines, but a little bit different. Um, at the crazy super elite level, like, like, like world, like world's strongest man, top deadlifter in the world, kind of, kind of level. Yep. Um, is it is it true in your opinion that at that level, like when Hap Thor deadlifts like a thousand pounds, um, that every time he does it, it takes like six months off his life or whatever the claim is? I, you know, honestly, I think really what take what's going to take the time off of his life isn't the lift. It's his size. Um, oh, yeah. I think, I think the correlation really is body size to length of time lived. Now, but don't get me wrong. His grandfather is as tall and as broad as he is. Not quite the same amount of weight, obviously. And he's, he still walks around great. I saw him at the Arnold last year. Um, <laughs> he's got to be close to 300. He's six foot seven, 300 pounds. And he's 70, 73. Wow. Some of it's genetics, but... I think what really would weigh on you is just being, you know, six foot seven, six foot eight and weighing 400 plus pounds for that's really going to weigh down a lot on you. Is this that constant weight? I don't think that those bursts of power output are really going to reduce your lifespan. I think it's just being so big for so long to be able to be able to pull those kind of weights is what's going to wear you down. That makes sense. Now, um, I would love to hear your talk on this because this is another this is another big misconception that I see a lot, and I think like strong man and um, is making a shift with the way that that world has been. But a lot of people have this misconception that you can't get strong without getting fat. Uh, well, I mean, Marius Pujanowski. You know, I mean, if you look at if you look at him. He was probably one of the most ripped strongman ever. If you look at Franco Colombo, he won World's Strongest Man, and he was ripped. But do I think that you can deadlift a 1,000 pounds and still work on aesthetics? Probably not. Right. Um, you know, but then you got guys like Larry Wheels who are completely <laughs> shredded and super strong. Yeah. Uh, didn't carry a lot of body fat when he was at his strongest. So I think body fat has more to do with nutrition than it mm-hmm. does how you personally train. I think that's not what anybody wants to hear. They want to go, oh, I want to, I want to train to be toned, or I want to train to this or that. But I think in reality, you have to eat for some of those goals. Yeah. And I think the problem is, is like, guys, let's say, like, the best deadlifter to ever live, in my opinion, is Andy Bolton. You know, he pulled 1,003 with no straps, and then he pulled 1,008 with no straps. And he deadlifted 900 in competition with no straps, nearly 50 times so if you look over his career that is insane but he didn't ever he never worried about aesthetics he always looked like he had a little bit of a belly um you know he looked a little bit pudgy but the point is is like sometimes certain goals if you have a thicker midsection you know look at a vasily alexia for example you know broke what 60 or 70 world records in olympic lifting um you, you have to decide what those goals are. Now, you look at the lighter weight class, let's say the average person, you know, an average guy walking around weighs 200 pounds. You can be shredded and super strong at 200 pounds, but it's really hard to be shredded and weigh 380, 400, you know. But that's mm-hmm. how big you're going to have to be to break an all-time world record human history. No, regardless of weight class, you're going to have to weigh 
that much to probably break a record, you know, like it's an all-time human record. Yeah. Um, but I do think that most people can get insanely strong and stay insanely lean if they want to follow how they eat, but it really doesn't have to have a lot to do with how they train. Yeah. Now, in terms of eating, now what's, what's your thoughts on in terms of that eating for the goal of strength while keeping body composition in check? That's a difficult one because everybody's a little different. I don't think, I think it's like training, you know, everybody has to have a little bit of their own path and be able to experiment themselves to see what works on them. But to be strong, you're going to have to have carbs. I mean, there's no way to be immensely strong and be on a ketogenic diet or anything of that nature. I, I even carnivore style diet. I don't think you could be your strongest. I think you could be stronger and still eat that way, but I'm not sure about your strongest. Um, I look at guys like Stan Efforting that was really ripped as strong as he was in powerlifting. He eats a lot of white rice, but it's also the type of carbs that you're taking in. I think that most people, when they hear carbs, they think bread, pasta. I think what they should be thinking of is rice. You know, rice tends to have a lot of good carbohydrate qualities, but also very low inflammation. So you have to eat things that are low inflammatory and breads and pastas don't tend to be, um, don't tend to keep you leaner. So I know a lot of people that eat a lot of rice that carry a lot of muscle and very little body fat. I don't know people that eat a ton of bread and pasta that look lean. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I I know for me, just like, uh, whenever, whenever I eat carbs, I stick to rice and potatoes, uh, and very rarely ever have bread or pasta just because they make me feel like shit. Like I feel like garbage. And if you're, if you're eating clean, you're, you know, cleaner and you're, kind of watching what you eat you should feel like shit when you eat bread and pasta because of the gluten and all the other shit in it yeah you know but most people they feel so bad every day that they don't feel bad from eating that like you can tell somebody that's dieting because or eating clean i won't even use i don't even like to use the word dieting but eating clean if you go out and have pasta with them at an italian place they're gonna walk out of there feeling like trash yeah and a person that doesn't diet they won't even notice the difference Mm mm-hmm you know? Yeah. So, no, that makes total sense. Yeah. I think now, you have to find that balance. Yeah, no, I agree completely. <clears throat> now in terms of, I know this is kind of a loaded question and super contextual, but in terms of like, everybody's different when you work with someone one-on-one, how you, how you approach training is different, obviously for their goals and everything. But as a whole, do you, are you, in your opinion, do you say, no, everyone I work with is going to deadlift and squat like they're that important or, or do you train everyone in terms of uh, a lot of the aspects, let's say an athlete versus 49-year-old Mrs. Jones versus a fireman, or are there a lot of crossovers the way you coach? There's a lot of crossover. I do believe that most people do need to squat and deadlift. However, you have to know where to start somebody. So, like, what I'll do with a beginner client that's not very athletic or maybe doesn't have good body posture or a lot of athletic background, they have to start all – so instead of deadlifts, we use 45-degree back extensions and reverse hypers. Instead of squats, we use belt squats until the technique becomes sound. Once the technique becomes sound and I feel like they can, you know, um, do a decent amount of work in those, those movements and be proficient with using their glutes and hamstrings and understanding how to keep their core tight, then I think it's time to go to the deadlifting and the squats as long as there's no biomechanical injuries or you know, any of those types of issues. But um, I think I think everybody should 
deadlift and squat, I think it's just you have to know where to start. So I think like guys like Robert Oberst and those guys coming out and telling people that they shouldn't deadlift is like ridiculous. But if you look at like when you get to the top, the problem is, is everybody is always out to try to ruffle feathers for popularity. Mm. They want to create a controversy so that everybody's like, oh, look what this guy says. Whether it's smart or dumb, it doesn't matter. I think the hard part is, is you know, it's kind of like that game changers, that thing with these people eating vegan. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, like, nobody yeah. <laughs> has a world record in anything that eats vegan. You know, especially in the strength world. Because Brian, that guy that got on there and said he had all these world records. Really? Strong, man, That's awesome. Brian Shaw called him out. It's like, you think, yeah, the things that you're saying you have the world record in, you come <laughs> to my house and I'll show you who has the world record. You know? But the point is, is like, you're going to have to eat meat to get stronger. Your body's designed to do that, whether you believe it or not. You know, um, we, that's why we have incisors for teeth. Um, but if you talk to a lot of the top doctors in the world, yeah. going on a vegan Unless diet it's a vegan is not doctor, healthy. Right? That's getting paid. <laughs> um, they even took, well, yeah, and I, well, I've seen papers overseas where entire countries are coming out with papers to tell women to not be on wow. a vegan diet when they're breastfeeding or pregnant. So if it's not good while you're pregnant or breastfeeding, yeah. why the fuck is it good for you in normal health? You know, it's like, yeah, you're not supposed to smoke while you're pregnant or breastfeeding either. Is that shit healthy? Because doctors told people from 1910 to 1960 that smoking what didn't mm. cause cancer. You know, so it's kind of one of those things where you're like, uh, what? You know what I mean? So I, I'm not, a, I mean, I'm not a proponent. If you're not an athlete and you just want to eat for health and you're not trying to put on muscle, you might be able to get by with not eating as much meat or maybe no meat, but. If you're trying to be strong, you're trying to carry a lot of B vitamins and iron, you're trying to perform a certain way, and even and you even rely on a lot of cognitive function, I'm not so sure that no, those I, kind of diets are way. really I, all I've that great for you. I've never understood how, like, you'll hear, like, the one side of the, the strictly plant-based, completely vegan argument, but then you hear all of the medical issues like, oh, no, if you're vegan, then you're going to be deficient in all these nutrients, and your protein is going to take is going to be so low. And, like, if it's so great, then why do we have to yeah. compensate for so much shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because we're not supposed to eat that way, you know? <laughs> but, like I said, you know, here's the problem. It's like the same thing in training. Nobody knows, and that's why it goes in cycles. Right now, eating plant-based diet because of documentaries and stuff have gotten huge. You know, it goes in cycles because mm-hmm. nobody really, really, really knows. But I think what you have to look at is, who are the guys that are 50-plus years old that have been resistance training and staying in good shape like Michael Hearn and staying efforting? How do they eat, and why are their blood work so good compared to other people their age and their strength levels and their body fat measurements, and how are they eating? And maybe, maybe we need to look at that as a health parameter, right, instead of just going, well, this is what some doctor says. Like, why don't we look at all the yeah. people that are in super good no, shape absolutely. at 55 years old and go – yeah, how are they eating? How, how are they maintaining their muscle mass when supposedly you're supposed to get weaker yeah. as you get older? These guys are maintaining no, that makes it. makes total sense. You know, so those are, those are the factors that are always playing in my head. But like I said, with training and with yeah. nutrition and all that, nobody really knows. I mean, it's it's. I think we have better guesses now, but nobody really knows. But if I were to put my money on it, I would say you need to eat meat at a consistent basis. You need to have resistance training in your in your life no matter what your goal is to maintain 
muscle tissue, bone density, and ligament density, um, and reduce body fat. And you need to eat clean and keep a lot of poor choice carbohydrates low, i.e. breads and pastas. And if you're trying to maintain a decent amount of body weight, you need to have yeah. a decent amount of rice in your diet. I mean, I think if everybody followed yeah, that, we'd no, be I, way healthier and way stronger. Now, let me ask you this kind of wrapping things up. Because uh, I know you do a lot of podcasts and interviews and things like this. So one of my favorite questions to ask is, because um, yeah. a lot of times, you know, getting people on podcasts and stuff like that, you get asked a lot of the same questions to different audiences and whatnot. But let me ask you this. What is something yeah. that you think, or what is something that you've never been asked on a podcast that you think is massively important and probably severely underrated? <laughs> I know it. Oh, man, that's a hard one to throw out. I'd have to think about that one in, in hindsight, but, um, oh, I don't know. I guess just look at everything in a holistic approach. I mean, if I were just going to throw one out there, I mean, you know, I like to be strong and I like to have lower body fat from weighing, you know, 250 to 260 pounds. And, you know, I like to have a lot of muscle tissue and all these things. But in reality, when my diet was cleaned up, I was able to sustain all that and have really good blood work. So I think the problem is on the strength side is that people go, we go too far into one realm and we think strength fixes everything or diet fixes everything. In reality, I think it's a mixture. You know, you got to have resistance training. You got to have the diet correct. You got to have. Now, this is the one thing that actually going into this sparked another thing. What is your resting look like? Like, are you sleeping well? Are you sleeping enough? Are you sleeping deep enough? Um, Is your quality of sleep high? I mean, Nobody's asked me about that, and I think that was one of my biggest, um, one of my biggest, not secrets, but one of my biggest advantages is that I was always a good and deep sleeper, and I always liked being in bed early. And I did. I never noticed that until I was around Charles Poliquin. Um, he was telling me about you know how your body spurts out IGF one at one a.m. and you have to be asleep by a, a certain time for that to all happen that I always realized I had a distinct advantage because I like to be in bed early, even when I was little, like I like to be in bed at nine o'clock. And, um, so I never had a problem sleeping. I never, I never could run on two or three hours or four hours of sleep a night. And I think that's what got me so big and so strong, or at least as right. far as I could genetically go. Um, recovery is probably the biggest key to everything. And that ties into training smart, right? Like we talked about 72 hours, eating correctly so you're not in a high inflammatory state and you're breathing correctly. So for those of you listening that might have sinus issues, make sure you're not allergic to dairy or gluten because when I put all that out, I haven't had a sinus infection in two years. No, but I know clients that I cannot get to diet and they are twice, two, two, three times a year. They're in the doctor taking antibiotics because they're sinus, they got sinus infections, but they, you know, they'll even go go as far Hmm. as to get sinus surgery and won't even change their diet. So I would say get a food allergy test, you know, see what it's telling you. But for most people, if you're having a sinus issue, I'd cut out your cut out your dairy that's and good. cut out your gluten no, and see if it goes away. Those are two of the highest intoler- intolerance foods, you know. Oh, huge. Yeah, huge. I don't, I don't, I think now hard cheese is not nearly as bad for you as soft cheese or milk. Um, you can like Parmesan and sharp cheddar. Uh, but you also have, you know, Gluten, in my opinion, is the damn devil. Like, it, it causes havoc on you. And the reason that a lot of people, normal people, don't think, well, gluten doesn't bother me. 
get off the gluten for six <laughs> yeah. months and go back on it and see how it bothers you. Because then you're going to be like, oh, damn, you know, like I can't hold anything down. Like, you know, it gives me diarrhea or I feel like, you know, that's not supposed to happen. But if you constantly poison your body, no, it's going to create a defense point. mechanism for it. And one of those things that kind of tells you that's happening is a sinus infection constantly. You know, those are the, the capillaries and things in those positions are the closest to the skin inside your sinuses. And if they're constantly infected or getting, you know, getting issues, then you're inflamed. Yeah. Right. Well, if you cut the inflammation out of your diet, no, that's really good. That would that's probably a, that's a clear very up. Good point. I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of every, all that's so connected to like gut health and food intolerances that that almost seem totally on different planes. Uh, it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. You know, but the thing of it is, it's not a pill I can sell you. So it's yeah. You know, if I tell you to eat cleaner, nobody makes any money. No, I totally agree. It's sad that it's become that way, but you know. How long does a doctor go to school for and they teach them all these interactions with medicine and then how long yeah. do they learn how to, how to eat correctly? Well, I can tell you because I had a buddy who just come out of med school. He studied nutrition for two freaking weeks and the rest no, of it, med dude, school was all I had, I had someone two days ago reach out to me on Instagram because um, a lot of my audience is, is very much general population wanting to lose weight and whatnot. And uh, this really well-intentioned lady reached out and said, Jared, I need help. I'm so lost and confused right now. I just been diagnosed with type two diabetes. And, uh, and uh, a nurse told me to just go on the keto diet, avoid carbs, and I should lose almost seven pounds a week. And the girl never gave her like a calorie target, just said avoid carbs and follow keto and you'll lose seven pounds a week. (laughs) Well, she was, if she was 300, it's probably true. If she's 300 pounds, it's probably true. But I think just having that kind of guideline is a little bit out of control. Uh, now, depending on how bad her blood sugars are, maybe it needs to be that extreme. But, you know, if somebody weighs 300 pounds, seven pounds is not going to be a huge deal. But, you know, I don't think that should be the right goal. I think what it should be is, you know, switch the carbohydrates mm-hmm. to, like we were talking about, rice. Make sure that you're only eating those carbohydrates based on how much you're active. And then try to get, depending on how much you want to weigh or need to weigh, eat a certain amount of ounces per, say, every 100 pounds of body weight of protein per day. You know, if you're eating, say, you want to weigh, I don't know, this is just throwing it in the dark, but you want to weigh 150 as a female, which is, you know, not big. If you want to weigh 150 and you're, say, 5'7", you want to weigh 150, you probably still need to eat four to yeah. six ounces of protein every three to four hours to sustain proper body mass as far as muscles and all that stuff, you know. Because the problem with that lady being told that is that her diet is probably consists mostly of carbs. So she needs to – I would what I would have told her is to up her protein intake, and she needs to eat so many grams of protein per every so many hours – and what you find sure, is that 100%. starts limiting the type of food choices you can have, right? So if I do that, then it's a better it's a better goal. It's telling them the same thing, but it's giving them a every three hour goal versus just I want you to lose yeah. seven pounds a week. That's ridiculous. Like say I want you to eat six ounces of meat, or I want you to have thirty grams of protein every right. three hours. You can't pick junk food and do that. See, so that that's how I do stuff with like my firemen and general population is 
I say, look, just eat this amount of protein every three mm-hmm. hours. Start there, you know. Mini structure helps a lot. That that helps a ton. Yeah, and it gives them a goal every three hours versus just yeah, say lose seven it. pounds a week. All right, last question. Where does somebody listening right now? Where does someone start right now? They just listen to this podcast. They realize they need to get strong. Start strength training. Where's the best place to start outside of like having a coach? Well, um, I guess it would depend on where you're at. The first thing to start would be is research all the different exercises and movements, right? So make sure you know how to squat, at least have seen how it's done properly, know how to deadlift, know how to bench press, and understand a couple of things. One, almost everyone has weak Mm -hmm. hamstrings, and that's why they have back problems. Two, almost everybody has weak glutes, which is why their lower back gets injured, right? Three, most people have weak transverse abdominus muscles, so make sure you train your abs and it's static, like planking-type movements first to learn how to brace. That will protect you. And then make sure that you train two times the amount of muscles that you cannot see versus the ones you can see. So if you walk into a gym, you need to do double the stuff that you can't see in the mirror. That would be probably the smartest shit I would ever tell anybody that doesn't know anything. The muscles on the backside of your body are the ones that protect your posture. They're the ones that keep you healthy. They're the ones that keep you from getting injured. you got a strong upper back, you got strong glutes and hamstrings, and a strong yeah. lower back, you're going to be able to do whatever you want. And those muscles don't come along with the front muscles not growing too. But the problem is, is that the average person walks in and gyms are loaded with mirrors. Biceps and, and they're chest, just training right? <laughs> the muscles that they can see. Biceps, chest, you know, rectus abdominis, quadriceps, you know, those things. They're, and front shoulders. They're not thinking rear delts, subscap muscles, rhomboids, glutes, mm-hmm. low back, hamstrings. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know? No, I get it. <clears throat> Awesome, man. Man, I do, I'm telling you, I really appreciate this. I know you're, you're, you're on a road trip right now, and, but I really appreciate you hopping on here and taking the time to do this. Now, where can people find you? Yeah. They're like, all right, I like this. I want to, he talked about coaching. I want to buy his manual. Where can people find you from like your website, social, yeah. to get in contact with you, anything like that? Yeah. Yep. So my website is winningstrength.com, uh, W-E-N-N-I-N-G. Um, you go on there, you'll see links to the Patreon channel, which is a paid YouTube channel. We put a lot of information on how to train smart. We give out workouts. We show people how to train correctly. We give them extra cuts. You can also go on, if you want something for free, you can go on the Winning Strength YouTube channel, which is no spaces or anything like that, W-E-N-N-I-N-G, Winning Strength on YouTube. And then also, you know, I'm Real Matt Winning on, um, on Instagram, and I post all kinds of exercises there. So if you're looking for new exercises to do or you're unfamiliar with how to do stuff, we put a lot of stuff on there and show that. But I would highly recommend subscribing on our Patreon channel because we put a lot of time and effort into explaining things very, very deeply on that channel. Awesome, and it's awesome, very brother, important. man. I appreciate you so much. Thank you again for doing this. Um, I'll talk to you later. All right, no problem. All right, guys, thank you so much once again for tuning in to today's episode of the Hamilton Trained Podcast. It means a lot to me. I know this episode was a little bit longer than normal um, just because, you know, when, when I have the opportunity to interview and talk to somebody at the caliber um, of Matt, 
I want him to talk for a long time. Okay. I want him to give as much value as possible. And he did just that. So um, be sure to check Matt out be sure to um, go to his website, hop on his Patreon site, go to his YouTube and hit subscribe and shoot, go buy a fucking t-shirt, whatever. Anyway, um, check Matt out. Keep in, uh, keep, keep up with what he's got going on. Um, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure and uh, tell a friend if you got a lot out of this, because here's the thing. If you got a lot out of this episode, then you have people in your circle that would get a lot out of this episode. So we don't want to be selfish and hide all the information. That's why I reach out and get some of the best and most amazing people on the podcast and share this information completely for free because I want to help people. I really want you to be able to have this information and run with it and change your life. So what I really want you to do is send this to uh, a couple friends that you think would get a lot of value out of it. Because like I said, if you did, they'll get a lot of value. Um, otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in again. Thank you. If Matt's listening to this, thanks again, Matt, for hopping on the podcast and letting me pick your brain for a little while. Um, yeah. Otherwise, guys, I love you to death. Thank you so much. I will talk to you next time. Bye.